0: Good morning all and welcome to this Herbert Smith Free Hills podcast. Today's topic is employee activism and specifically the impact uh, we might see of activism on the union movement in Australia uh, in the future. I'm joined by my partner in Melbourne, Nat Gasper. Afternoon, Natalie.
1: Hi, Anthony. Delighted to be recording another podcast with you. It's a really interesting topic, this one.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, and my name's Anthony Longland, I'm um, one of our national partners currently based in Perth. So today's podcast leverages from a report which our firm commissioned and which was recently published on employee activism and it included some really interesting results So I'll summarise just a couple of them to create some context for our discussion today. The first is that 81% of the companies which we surveyed thought that employee activism would increase into the future. It doesn't sound on its face like a monumental um, conclusion, but one needs to consider that we had 375 um, C-suite executives from companies with more than 1,000 employees in um Across the globe, in the yeah. US, Europe, the UK, Australia, Asia, Middle East and Africa. And when you look at the question, there's an option for significantly increase or slightly increase. And in Australia, over 81% chose either significant or slight increase. And almost no one is predicting that activism will decrease, which I thought was was interesting. The second point, just by way of introduction, is that the survey asked the respondents about the reasons or the triggers that they saw for this rise in activism. And in Australia, in order, they were automation and artificial intelligence, then diversity, uh, and then surveillance, uh, by which we mean obviously employee surveillance at Mm -hmm. work. Um, Pay and benefits comes in at four. And the fifth reason identified was corporate strategy. So what we're going to see in the future, according to our survey respondents, is not simply a significant increase in activism, but the triggers of that come from sources which are probably not those traditionally addressed by our industrial relations system and indeed our trade union movement.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. Anthony, isn't that right? So, so probably the one from that list that is the traditional yet domain of unions is uh, the pay and benefits, but that's not number
0: one on the list. Indeed, and you could argue, I think, that our system has been built up and sort of the institutions in our system are all around claims by employees for pay and benefits, Um, whereas this list here shows that that's only a a small part of what will be driving a wave of employee activism in the future. Uh, I guess a nice way to start, Nat, might be for um, you to explain to us whether... In your practice, you've been able to identify any changes in the way unions are uh, conducting themselves and representing their members.
1: Yeah, look, I think a really great example of how the union movement is potentially pivoting to this new world that we're playing in is uh, this example of HOSPO Voice. So HOSPO Voice is describing itself as Australia's first digital union. It's really cleverly promoting itself predominantly to young people, quite um, frankly, obviously, who uh, work in the hospitality industry. It describes its cost of membership as less than a Netflix subscription it charges its members $9.95 or something like that and once you you're registered with that union you've got the ability to access digital platforms and apps so um, some of the ones that they have available to its members a paychecker there's a record my hours function so that you can prove to um, that you've worked in a particular manner in your in in the, the case that there's a dispute about underpayment or the like. And uh, there's also an app called Harassment Diary, which um, so it's really fascinating. It's uh, it's a union that is backed by the United Workers' Union, who the listeners might appreciate is this new super union. It uh, just was registered as an amalgamation between uh, two unions. It's now Australia's largest union. I uh, have a confession, Anthony, that being, right. a, being the nerd that I am, I had occasion out of curiosity to have a look at the new union's rules um, just to see actually where the HOSPO voice, this sort of subset of the union, uh, was mentioned and actually came across in the union rules. And can I just pause there? If anyone's had the misfortune to look through union rules in the Mm -hmm. past, you'll you'll appreciate how much of a true nerd I am to have done this off my own bat. But there's there's a new provision in um, the UWU's rules which um, is entitled to member activism and of course that jumped out at me and I thought my goodness yes. how fascinating and the purpose of that rule is to empower the union um, to promote opportunities that it describes in areas um, including equity, diversity, um, member activism as I've already said in relation to um, campaigns that touch on issues that are not, in fact, the traditional domain of unions. So obviously industrial campaigns, but also um, campaigns for social and political change. So I thought that was so fascinating.
0: It's interesting because the listeners will be aware that the current legislation uh, does require unions to act in accordance with their rules. Indeed, members have got rights to enforce compliance with union rules by their elected union officials. So, I agree with you that that is a significant development and not not the sort of rule that we've seen historically in in mainstream Australian unionism. Mm. Um, It seems so simple, doesn't it? Pay checker, Um, record my hours. Obviously, the internet and technology has radically changed workplaces. Um, It's great to see that unions are starting to utilise it in, in such a practical way to go about um, conducting their their business.
1: Yeah, look, I I think that's right. It's really fascinating. This is all about point in time, um, you know, and quite frankly, member-led as well Mm. in terms of these initiatives. Um, And these are unions that, you know, have to employ organisers and people to get out there and get into unions and I'm interested in your thoughts later on how right of entry laws fits in all this sort of mm. stuff but I mean it, it's really cost effective manner of serving their members interests isn't it by providing Indeed. an app that's immediately accessible on phones which everyone has um in the, yeah. in the
0: modern world yeah look in turning to the um uh, the types of activism that that rule um speaks about I thought about historical union activism on those non-pay or working conditions areas. And there's not a lot of them in the Australian experience, or at least in my experience, but I thought back to the, the 70s or the late 60s and early 70s and the green bans in Sydney, where we saw the construction union deciding to ban projects, which, for example, involved the destruction of historically significant buildings in Sydney or other town planning um measures which the union thought would detract from the amenity uh, of the city of sydney so it's interesting that there is something of a pedigree for Mm. activism in um, non-pay and conditions areas but i'd have to say in the in the 25 or 30 odd years i've been watching these things it's quite rare um what have you observed yourself in that area that
1: the modern version of that, I suppose, is uh, I think RAFW is a really good example of that. So RAFW, listeners might be aware, stands for the Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. Uh, mm. It's not, though. It's an incorporated association. Um, it operates, quite frankly, off the smell of a, a oily rag. It... Um, Because it operates in the space traditionally owned, I suppose, by the SDA, the Shoppies Association. And um, RAFW really arose predominantly not to necessarily. be opposed to employers, although, of course, that um, presents a large part of its remit. But um, the SDA is a quite conservative union and uh, RAFW prides itself on being the voice uh, for change in social justice issues uh, relating mm. to things like gay marriage and abortion. And you just have a look at its website and what it stands for and, you know, obviously there's the stuff that you would expect in a traditional union um a domain about campaigning for members' interests and ensuring that people are paid correctly and all those, you know, traditional, perfectly legitimate areas. And um, a large part of its uh, energy and focus is, as I said, fighting for these social justice issues, which um, it feels the SDA has uh, got mm. quite a polarised uh, position on.
0: Mm. The thing about that example, I think, which is interesting is that the system... Doesn't on its face accommodate that kind of competition. the The conveniently belong rule um, has been a long cherished part of um, the statutory regulation of unions, and it it essentially provides that when one wants to wants to register a new union under the system, or that is under the legislation, um, you need the the commission to to do the registering, and the commission's not empowered to register a union if there is another union already in existence to which the proposed members of the new union can conveniently belong. So that clearly explains why RAFRU why is not registered uh, under the legislation and um, I, I guess it stands as a, as a real warning to the mainstream unions about the fact that competition can be created outside the system.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and uh, look, RAFWU is quite the disruptor in this space, Mm. so it doesn't have all the uh, rights and the flip side is the obligations that are imposed on unions, Mm. formal registered unions, but um, it has still been very effective in uh, bargaining, in bringing disputes, in uh, agitating Mm. for change. So,
0: Mm. Look, another example I think of and more innovative approach on the union side um, dealing with these future work issues in a sense is the Offshore Alliance here in in Western Australia. Um, It's unusual because uh, the MUA and the AWU who chose to enter into this alliance weren't required to apply to the Commission to vary their eligibility rules uh, nor to take any other compliance or regulatory step. They simply entered into their own private agreement which involved um, the AWU employing um, at least two MUA employees. So there's essentially a, a joint employment situation going mm-hmm. on where these two, one of whom's a, an official under the rules of the MUA, um, is a part-time employee of the AWU. And the purpose of that is to enable those MUA Employees to utilise the broader coverage rules or eligibility rules of the AWU to go about organising the offshore sector in WA. There's a range of reasons for that, which I, I don't think it's necessary for us to go into, but it's another good example of uh, an entrepreneurial or perhaps yeah. innovative approach being taken um, to achieve the overall objective, um, which is to to represent workers and to, I guess, speak to their... Um, aspirations for for representation, and any listeners that you know are interested in in this new approach, get onto Facebook. Um, I think a lot of unions are using Facebook really well now, um, but probably not many better than the Offshore Alliance. Their page, you know, you'll see old school concepts of um, criticising and and being very um, anti measures taken by employers, but look at the comments that each of those posts. Um, um in gender um, another example I can think of is, a, is is not a union page but a page called three in one so back when there was a push in the construction sector to move from four and one rosters four weeks on one week off to three in one rosters um, a lot of momentum was given to that campaign through the use of a Facebook page and as we all know we're Facebook users that it's very interactive. Um, comments, likes, and support, etc., can engender the old-school collective um, um, action of unions, but uh, very much grassroots-driven through this mm. this new medium.
1: It's a new black, isn't it? Hey, Anthony. So, so what do you what do you think then? What what the consequences of? Um the more traditional union behaviour on the modern workplace. Is it the case that the traditional union movement is, is under threat? And, you know, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts in the rise in Australia of class actions, employment-related mm-hmm. class actions, which, again, is, is new. And yeah. for the
0: union movement there's a couple of points there I guess as to the first point you know I go back to the survey if the causes or the triggers as the survey says of, of employee activism are going to be non-pay and benefits issues um, then there is an immediate inconsistency with the institutions in which the unions operate those institutions really contemplate demands about uh, paying conditions or relations, as the Act says, between employers and employees. So whether the employer is a good social citizen, whether the employer supports social causes, those are not matters which can be um, neatly or easily progressed under the existing arrangements. So what that tells me... Uh, is that there does need to be a change. If this, if our survey is correct and the drivers or the triggers are going to change, then they won't work under the new institutions and I think unions are going to have to find new ways to meet those sorts of employee aspirations. Mm. Um, as to class actions, yeah. um, you know, I'm interested in, um, there's a bit of an inconsistency. You look at the, the scheme case which happened uh, was almost almost two years ago now, um, which gave additional rights to casual employees. That was a case that was run by the CFMEU, and in particular its, it's coal mining division, a very old, proud and successful union. Um, but from where I'm looking at, what we kind of saw after that was these class action funders leap into that space. And so a lot of the benefit that the union achieved through getting that, that federal court decision is being utilised outside the union movement um, through these class actions. I don't know if you see it differently, Nat.
1: No, look, I, that's that, I think that's right. And you know, another example of that um, is you know these GoFundMe pages, which uh, are seeking um, you know contributions from concerned members of the fu- of the public to bring litigation so you've got your traditional litigation funders who are people and businesses out there who invest in class actions expecting a return on their investment in the same way that people would invest in the property market or in shares or, or whatever it is and then you've got this other version which is your con- as I said your, your concerned citizen and you know a good example of that was Israel Folau's, um failed, mm. admittedly, attempt to fund his litigation through a GoFundMe page, which was mm. ultimately shut down. But, um, yeah, again, it's it's just fascinating, um, you know, how all this will play out and, and how unions um, will will respond to that because, you know, as we've been saying all along, this is their traditional domain.
0: It's really, it's a source of competition. You know, yeah. these, these developments seem to me, you know, if I'm running a union, you see them as competitive threats. Yeah. Um, to what you're trying, what you're trying to do.
1: So, ha- how about what about the good old fashioned, you know, union organizer coming onto the site, having a chat to people on their lunch breaks, mm. and, and that being the the source of um, membership and prevalence and prominence in a mm.
0: business. What are your thoughts? On yes. That? Oh, very old school, isn't it? When, yep. when you start to look at that through the lens of this future of work concept, and it's not just our survey um, that deals with the future of work, it's a broad topic that's been written about by lots of people around the world. Um, uh, I think it just brings to the fore the fact that a union official getting in a car and driving to a work site and being, asserting legal rights, giving notices 24 hours, um, waiting in the lunchroom for employees that wanna come and talk to that union organizer during their their breaks. You know, that used to be the lifeblood. That was how the union kept in touch with its members, because there was a view that the members ought not be troubled outside their their workday. And so this institution built up around it. There was statutory rights for unions to do that. There was dispute resolution mechanisms uh, in the commission. but you fast-forward to today and you look at some of the things we've been talking about, employees, you know, they've got the internet in their hand yeah. 24-7. Yeah. Um, the union official can talk to a 1,000 employees without leaving their desk uh, in a matter of, you know, 30 seconds. Um, it really does make you stop and wonder, yeah. um, is there any future for, for these right of entry provisions? Um, particularly if the, if the employees have got apps and all sorts of assistance to help them keep records, well, there's probably a limited need to even use the powers to require employers to provide records, etc., or to produce records. Yeah,
1: you, you describing that union official jumping in a car was kind of reminded me of getting a, a good old fashioned hard paper catalogue in the post, <laughs> and then turning up to the retail store and exchanging cash for goods and <laughs> bringing them home. Yeah, it, just doesn't, home happen that it way. just doesn't That's happen right. that right. That's yeah. right. In, in this world, it's all available immediately online. It's digital. Um, yeah, really fascinating. So, look, I, I think it's fair to say that the the union movement, um, you know, if, even if you look at the last election, Anthony, there was a huge investment in a political campaign and um, you know restoring uh, the ALP to government that didn't pay off. Um, mm. There was quite a significant suite of reforms that were being pushed by the ACTU, many of which had been picked up uh, by the Labor government as its policy platform leading into that election. So that hasn't worked so they're kind of um you know doing a bit of navel gazing i suspect at the moment um
0: yeah and i think um that campaign was about wages front and center it was about insecure work so casuals and the like um and without wanting to say it failed i think what you can say is it just didn't grip the attention of the nation Mm. um and i think the fact that we're not seeing sally mcmanus and the actu in the press as frequently as we were before the election, probably does indicate that, that they're, they're thinking carefully about where they pivot to from here. And I suppose, you know, as we conclude the podcast, you know, that's my thinking. I think that the if you call them green shoots we've talked about, POSPO, mm. Voice, RAFWA, the Offshore Alliance, um, I think we will see a pivot away from the institutional side of the um, power, as it were, achieving government, Um, using the commission through to, you know, back to a very much more grassroots uh, approach where the unions will leverage this desire for activism and they will reach beyond pay and conditions. They'll become experts in um, surveillance, for example, and they'll advise employees on on where the line should be drawn in a privacy sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Look, no, I agree. Look, it's... and, And... I think we've seen already that unions and employees don't need to take good old fashioned protected industrial action or, mm-hmm. or bargain for these changes in enterprise agreements. Um, there is the ability to influence employers and corporate behaviour, corporate social behaviour, very effectively through other means. And you know, we've already spoken about social media, there's, you know, consumer boycotts, there's all, mm. all these sorts of things. So um, you know, I, I think that is the way
0: of the future. It's a brave new world. Um thanks for your time, Nat. Interesting discussion. Always good Anthony. And uh this podcast will be published on our hub. Uh, web hub at Herbert Smith Freehills, and I suspect that you will see a growing number of uh, other materials uh, and opinions on that hub uh, as we move through twenty twenty. So uh, thanks for your attention and and take care.
1: You have been listening to a podcast brought to you by Herbert Smith Freehills. For more episodes please go to our channel on iTunes or SoundCloud and visit our website herbertsmithfreehills.com for more insights relevant to your business.